scripture today comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. So Paul, standing in the middle of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom were also Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, hashtag rethink this morning. If you have a Bible, take it to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Um, and that video, as you see, uh, this series has been all about evangelism, or not evangelism, about technology. And this morning... The uh, message is about how we can use technology or how we can engage people with the gospel uh, in any way possible. Um, Engage people where they are with the gospel. How do we present Christ in the 21st century to people? Um, That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Before uh, we get going, I want to share a couple of uh, prayer requests with you. Uh, Many of you, some of you may know Shane Holland. He uh, serves in the kids ministry here. Um, Shane and Nikki and their two kids. Um, Shane just Friday lost his father somewhat unexpectedly a couple of weeks ago. They thought his cancer was, was gone and they found out it was back. And then a week later he passed away on Friday. Um, so let's be in prayer for them um, as they uh, will be having the visitation and funeral today at Glenwood Baptist Church. If any of you want to go see them, the visitation is at 1.30 and the uh, funeral is at 3 at Glenwood Baptist. Also, uh, right now around McDowell County at four different locations, we have what we call kids clubs or backyard Bible clubs going on. Um, where Ridgecrest students who have come to Ridgecrest for the summer to camp uh, partner with our church and with our students to go into uh, these different communities uh, to share the gospel with kids, try to reach families. And that's going on uh, right now as we speak. So as, uh, as you're praying for Shane and Nikki and their family, also just be in prayer for our students as well as the Ridgecrest students and 
um, the kids that we're trying to reach and the families we're trying to reach in these communities. This is going to be hot today, and uh, our students are out there serving. So this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at uh, how to engage people with the gospel. How to share the gospel with people in the 21st century in an effective way. This message will have a twofold purpose this morning. First will be for those of you who are followers of Christ. This message is to encourage you and hopefully equip you to know how to share the gospel more effectively. The small group lesson this week that many of you will uh, go through uh, kind of breaks that down a little more. So you'll be able to talk about that uh, in your small group this week. But also this message this morning is to the unbeliever. Because Paul, at the very end of this text, presents the gospel to the people he's talking to and he calls for a response. And many of you or some of you have come in here this morning and you know Christ Many of you uh, maybe are willing to listen to a little more about him. And some of you walk in here this morning and you don't care. You're far from him. And Paul was speaking to all of these people. And this morning, I want you to know we're glad you're here, all of you. But there'll be a, 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 a time at the end of the service that you'll have an opportunity to respond in whichever one of these you kind of fit into. But this morning, we'll be talking about evangelism. And we'll see how Paul, the world's greatest missionary shared the gospel with people in his context it'd be real easy to sit here this morning and think okay here's another message about evangelism and 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 how how to share the gospel and i've heard those before so we got it but that's just it sharing the gospel in the 21st century not 20 sharing the gospel in 2016 is far different than it was even 10 years ago Why is that? Because um, today, in a post-Christian world, people aren't necessarily open at first to hear about the things of Christ, to hear anything about his word, because any truth claim in the 21st century is met with, hey, don't tell me what you think is true. You think it, I'll think what I, I believe what I think is true and let somebody else believe what they think is true. And that wasn't the case maybe 50, 60, maybe even 30 years ago. But sharing the gospel is so much different now because evangelism is no longer about sharing a, a set of doctrines or some Bible verses that people can, can, can take and kind of hold on to and, and they just adhere to those and therefore they know Christ. No, it's about showing people the impact that the gospel has made on you. Because we see what Paul did in Acts 17 and the world he was in is very similar to the world that we are in. Let's look at a little background of Acts 17. If you have your Bible, verses 16 through 21, before we get into the main part of our text, it tells us Paul was in Athens. He was in Athens. That was the New York City of the day. All kinds of people, all kinds of different ideas, all met in one place. And it says that Paul was provoked. I mean, he was, he was bothered because he saw that there were so many idols in that city. A Roman official, Petronius, actually said uh, of, of, of Athens, it's easier to find a God in Athens than it is a man. The city was full 
of idols full of God. So many ideas pulling people so many different ways. Paul was bothered because people were looking for God. They were just looking in all the wrong places. Very similar to today. He hung out in the marketplace. So Paul went to the marketplace and and he would begin sharing with people. Just so you know, it wasn't like he went to Ingalls or Target and just started talking to people. The marketplace is kind of like the cultural center of the day. Is where you went to share your ideas and people would come share, uh, share their ideas. So the text also tells us that he was speaking to two kinds of people. We, would, we could look at these people and say, man, like the, these people were, were back in the first century. No, these people are today, it says, he was talking to Epicureans. Who were they? They were people that said, seeking your own pleasure is the highest good in life. Doesn't matter about anything else. Whatever you want to do, seeking your own pleasure is the highest goal in life. Very similar to today. Stoics. He was also speaking to Stoics. They were people that said, uh, thinking is far greater than feeling. We use reason. We don't worry about what somebody feels. Uh, we, as very much the word stoic, where we get our word of somebody who doesn't show emotion, they were people that said, no, we don't let anything bother us because we use our minds and nothing else. If you're thinking about it, think Spock, if you're thinking about stoics, all right? That's who stoics were. And they look at Paul and they say, what does this babbler have to say? That was a very derogatory term. They pretty much looked and said, what does this idiot have to say? But they say, you know what? We like hearing about all these foreign gods because we like hearing about anything because maybe, maybe your truth is truth too and my truth is truth and, and everybody else is. So we'll, we'll be willing to listen to them. So they said, hey, uh, Paul, we, we, think you're, we think you're pretty dumb because you're talking about this foreign deity, something about the resurrection. But hey, come talk to us anyway. And then that's where we get to our text. Paul goes up to a group of, of men called the Areopagus, and they're the intellectual and civil and religious leaders of the day. And he goes to them. Let's look at what he says. Verse 22, men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious. I passed objects of your worship and even found an altar with the words to an unknown God. So these people were worshiping so many gods, they even said, we'll worship an unknown God. What was that? That was the kind of uh, just in case God. In case there's a God out there that, that we missed, we want to worship that God anyway. So Paul looks and he, uh, as we see throughout uh, verses 22 through 29, he does one of two things that I want to draw out of this text today to show us that when we evangelize and share the gospel with people today, we've got to do two, we can do more than two, but we've got to at least do these two things. And the first one Paul does is establishes common ground. He says, I see that you're very religious. What made these people very religious? What, why did Paul know these people were religious? Well, first he saw countless gods. He saw countless gods he's walking down through there. They devoted themselves to various philosophies and many gods. Why would they do that? Why would those people be religious? We could ask ourselves the same question. Why would people today be religious? Meaning devoting yourself to something. Oftentimes people are religious because they are searching for a sense of belonging. They're searching uh, for uh, self-worth and acceptance. They're searching for a way to have their spiritual needs met. Or people who are religious are searching for a belief system that provides answers to their deepest questions. 
And Paul knows this. We must know this when we're sharing the gospel with people. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But the same thing that makes people religious today is the same thing that made them religious then. Many of them just devoted themselves to to rocks or things they carved. Many times uh, we can devote ourselves to other things because we look for belonging. We look for belonging maybe in, in in our co-workers. Nothing wrong with any of the four things that we search for. But it's just oftentimes we search for them in the wrong place. Many of us search for self-worth and acceptance. Except instead of finding it in Christ, we oftentimes find it in our job or in a relationship. These people wanted their spiritual longing met. And we all want answers to some of our questions that we have. Paul's dealing with those kind of people and he's about to expose the lie that these people were blinded by thinking that they would find all of those things in these many gods. And Paul's about to show them, no, you can only find it in Christ. But he first establishes common ground because he knows this about humanity. He knows that humanity is searching for something. He took their object of worship and was about to present the gospel to them by connecting with them on a common ground. We do that. We try to connect with people on a common ground all the time, right? You go out of town and you run into somebody that's even remotely from your area. What do you do? You just start talking to them because you feel like you know them, right? We do that. Uh, Whitney and I were in Hilton Head last year for our anniversary, and uh, we went to a restaurant, my favorite restaurant in the world, called the Sea Shack. I know it's like 11.56. That's why I didn't put a picture on the screen because y'all be hungry, but it's amazing. All right, fried food for days, okay? And like we went in there. Before you go into the Sea Shack, though, you have to wait in like the line right outside of the Sea Shack. They only maybe seat 20. And at about 4.30, the place opens at 5. At about 4.30, you show up and there's already a line backed out the door. So we're standing in line and this couple comes up behind us, an older couple and then a, another couple behind them. And we're just kind of standing there in line, you know, just, just waiting. And we hear them strike up a conversation behind us. And um, this one family, or this one couple is from Savannah, Georgia. The other couple is from uh, Richmond, Virginia. And uh, they begin talking and, and uh, the couple out of Richmond say, yeah, the, our neighbor told us to come to this place. And da, da, da. I said, okay, uh, just, just randomly said, who's your neighbor? And they, they told the name of the neighbor. I don't remember. And the couple from Savannah, the lady was like, no way that lady was the maid of honor in my wedding all right and these people just all of a sudden are like best friends right they just are talking to each other they're like man okay i knew there was something about you and they're just talking to each other and they end up sitting together and eating at the place and like whitney and i are like right in front of them listening and and he actually shares the couple from savannah uh shared that their son lives in Asheville and everything in me wanted to turn around and say, man, I know you guys too. You know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm from up close to Asheville. I didn't do that. Cause that'd be creepy. But like, um, we sit there or we stand there and like, we all felt this connect, or at least we kind of felt a connection. They felt a real connection. All right. But we, we, we were, we were there and they felt a connection because they knew somebody and they had established a, a common ground. And then they started sitting and talking to each other while they were eating. All right. We do that all the time. So when Paul does what he does, he's showing us that why not share a common ground when we're looking to share the gospel? 
What does that mean? That means oftentimes um, sharing the gospel used to be about a, a, a program that you go and do and, and you present somebody something and you just try to talk with them real briefly. Those things might can still work, but honestly, what works today is relationships that start. And in those relationships, you get to know someone, an unbeliever, so well that you say, look, I've got to share with you something that's important to me. And you already have built this relationship that's there and you begin to have common ground that you share with them that you know, hey, I can share the gospel with this person. Because people, I believe today, are tired of people walking up thinking that, that, a, that a Christian just needs to go up and like say a few words and like they're trying to get you know, a conversion. People don't want that. People want a relationship. And the best way we can share the gospel with people today is forming, intentionally forming relationships with people that we know we want and desire for them to know Jesus. Even in McDowell County, we can't think, though, uh, that everybody we're going to meet is going to know about the one true God. Paul, right here, uh, doesn't assume that his hearers know who God is. We can't assume that even today. I know it seems like we have a church on every corner, on every road. But I have a, a, a Bible study that meets during the fall with some football players and other guys. Uh, and, and, and at the high school, when we met last year, and these guys, man, they're, they're super cool guys, but they, uh, I, I was talking to them, and I was, we were going to talk about just manhood and stuff like that. And I said, how many of y'all, about 20 of them, know who Moses is? And I got two kind of slight hand raised. And, and I asked, I said, what do you know about him? And, and one of them said, is, is that, isn't that the guy who does like Ten Commandments or something like that? And, and I was like, I was like yeah, that's right. And I realized right then, I was assuming that because these guys are from McDowell County, they knew loads about the Bible and we could just dive right in. We can't assume that, even living in our context. We think, yeah, that's the case in New York City. Yeah, that's the case in an urban area. That's the case today. Paul was looking for common ground, though, and didn't assume anything of them. And he's about to point them in search of what they're actually looking for. He's, show, he's showing them, beginning to show them what you've been searching for is the right thing. You've just been searching in the wrong place. And he begins to establish common ground with them before moving toward the gospel. He says this, the God who made the world and everything, being Lord and master of heaven and earth, doesn't live in a temple made by people, nor is he served by creation as though he needs anything. Since he's the one who gives everything to mankind. Paul says, look, you've been searching for the right thing. You've just been searching for it in created things rather than the one who created you built these temples and you've, you've put your gods in these temples. But you've got to understand something. The God that you are actually trying to find created everything and is much greater than your temples. He's looking at him saying, you can't put God in a box. You can't put God in a temple. He made everything. You see a picture behind me of the Parthenon in Greece. Many of you have seen that picture before. That's a, it, was, it was a place of... It was a temple to the goddess Athena and they would put many other gods in that temple and they were proud of those. They would want you to go look and see our Parthenon, see all of our gods. And, and Paul is trying to say, I know that you're up there worshiping those gods, but who wants to worship a God confined to a room? God makes people, people don't make God. And Paul is showing them that the God you're searching for isn't going to be found in a, in a room. He's not going to be found in in a box because he created the world and everything 
in it. He then says, and he made from one man every nation that's ever existed. And he's determined how far and long nations will last. And he created them so they may seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Paul tells the, the, the people of the Areopagus, he says, look, you, you are like people who are, who are blinded and you are, you're searching. You're searching for significance. You're searching for acceptance. You're searching for self-worth. You're searching for love. You're searching for all these things, but it's kind of like when you wake up in the morning and it's still dark and your eyes are kind of fuzzy and you're trying to find the light switch and you're going like that, you know, and you stump your toe and you get all mad. You're just trying to grope around in the dark to find something. And Paul says, that's what you're doing. You're trying to find God. The thing is, you're just not actually looking to where he actually is. And what does he say? He says, though he's so big, though he's transcendent, though he's massive, though he created everything, Paul says in this text, yet he is still not far from us. He says, the God who created everything, the God who's magnificent, the God who's transcendent, yet he still is not far from us. He's trying to show them God is greater than what they think him to be, but yet that God also wants to know them personally. He quotes some of their own poets. Usually you see quotes in the New Testament and it's pointing back to the Old Testament. Paul here quotes a couple of philosophers and poets that said, In him we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed his offspring. Those are two different poets who wrote, For in him we live, move, and have our being. And then another poet about 300 years later said, For we are indeed his offspring. He quotes a couple of their own philosophers of that day engaging that culture. Because if he just walked up in there and said, hey, let me, t- let me talk to you all about what, what, what the Old Testament says about Jesus. People who have a low view of Scripture or no view of Scripture are going to say, I don't, I don't care. So what does Paul do? He, he doesn't assume they know anything about God. He doesn't just start quoting Scripture. He goes to them and he says, let me try to engage them to what they'll begin to understand. And maybe I can then start making my way to the gospel. So he quotes their own philosophers. That was his whole point. He's taken the prevailing thought of the day which is held at a high value in showing them that what they're really looking for is something only God can offer. Even the own poets knew they were searching for something. They just weren't searching in the right place. Our society does that similarly, right? We look for love, self-worth, acceptance. We all want those things. And our, we, we look at our poets of the day. I would just say our media, I guess you could say. We look at our media and what our media says about uh, what we're searching for. We find that our society is searching to feel accepted, to feel loved, to feel a purpose. Just look at uh, some, of the, some of the songs or movies. Um, anybody remember the movie Jerry Maguire? All right, Tom Cruise. I'm glad only a few of you know. All right, so, so what, what does he, he say? The great theologian Tom Cruise in the movie Jerry Maguire he looks at Renee Zellweger and, and they've just had this like moment and he looks at her and he says, you complete me. All right. And it, all the guys just puke at that point, you know, but you look at that and what's he doing? He's longing for something to, to fulfill him and he's looking for it. He's desiring it. He's just looking for complete fulfillment in the wrong place. Or maybe if I could quote another, never thought I would quote Taylor Swift in a sermon, but I'm going to do it. She has this line. I'm only going to quote the last part of the line because it makes me sick to read the rest. She said, I'm only me when I'm with you. The whole point of that song, it's probably something about love or a date. I don't know. 
But the whole point of much of that music and much of our music today is that people are searching and longing for the same thing that we search and long for. Many of you just sit in here this morning and you understand that the one thing that you search for, which is acceptance and unconditional love, you found it in Jesus. And many people today don't know where to find it. And it is our job, not when Taylor Swift comes on the radio and you're with a friend to turn it down and say, hey, she's really searching for Jesus there. No, you don't do that. But we've got to understand and know that the innate human desire is for love, acceptance, self-worth. And know that everybody's longing for that. And you see a friend who is giving their time or their money to, to, to one thing. And you understand, I mean, they are really searching because they spent all their money on that thing. And they spent all their time on that thing. And it seems not to be working for them. And maybe sometimes if you know someone who seems to be searching and longing, you ask them this question. If you know them well enough, you wouldn't want to ask it if you don't. But if you've established common ground and you know someone well enough and they are really pouring their time and their, their, their money and their energy into something and you know they're really longing for something, ask them the question, is it working? Is the one thing that you're trying to gain out of that job or that relationship, is it, is it working? Are you gaining what you're hoping to out of that? Because when you begin to ask people those questions and understand everybody desires the same thing, we begin to know, okay, maybe now it's not about sharing. When I share the gospel, some Bible verses with people, it's about sharing with them how they can have their ultimate needs met. So what do we, what do, we do specifically? When we look to share the gospel, we don't assume People know loads about scripture. We can't anymore. Maybe years ago we could. We can't assume that anymore. We need to find points of agreement and start there. Specifically, I've talked to people before who have questions about scripture or questions about purpose in life. Uh, and I love talking to those kind of people. And, uh, and, and I've often said, I appreciate your desire for truth. I appreciate your desire to try to find, but let's talk about this. Because oftentimes we've got, to under, we've got to find a point of agreement and say, I appreciate what you're looking for. Not what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. That comes later. We need to understand that when someone maybe at your job or a family member is sharing their problems with you, though many times we just need to listen, ultimately maybe God has, has made that a God-ordained situation so that you could point them while they're sharing their problems with you to the ultimate problem solver. You've been put there for God's purpose. Specifically regarding technology, this series about technology. A few years ago, I had a small group of guys who uh, discipled. And I, I asked them, they were all in the 10th grade at the time. I asked them, I said, why don't you go post the gospel or your testimony or something on some kind of social media? At the time, Instagram was just starting and, and, and Facebook was kind of the, the one of the days. So they, they went and they posted. Some of them just posted a short like, I'm glad Jesus saved me. And a couple other guys posted like novels on there sharing about what God had done in their life. And I want to say that, that that's one method that we have today that we didn't have a long time ago is using social media to share the impact that Jesus has made on our lives. So I want to challenge each of you for your favorite kind of social media, whatever it is. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, don't know how that works, but Twitter, any of that stuff, whatever, whatever you like and use. 
I challenge you to prayerfully consider sharing the impact, not just maybe uh, the the time you you, you were saved, if you know Jesus, but the impact that Jesus is making and has made on your life. I challenge you and encourage you, consider doing that this week. That's a perfect way that we can use something, a method of our day as Paul used the method of his day. It's a perfect way we can use the method of our day to share the gospel. So Paul establishes common ground And he then moves to the second truth that we'll see this morning. He presents a clear and compelling gospel. What do I mean by clear and compelling? It's it's one thing to like be so motivated to want to share something with somebody. And it's another thing to like be like you really want to share the gospel with somebody. You really want them to get it. But it doesn't make sense because we've not made it clear. It's another thing to be so clear with it and say every little thing perfectly. And yet you seem to have no emotion behind it that somebody's just like you don't seem to care. You just know. Paul shared a clear and compelling gospel. Though we only have an outline of what he probably said, this this talk that he had with the Areopagus probably took maybe 30, 40, 50 minutes, maybe over an hour. We just have a brief outline. We see that what he did is he, he established a common ground and then he moved toward the gospel. What does he say? It says, being God's offspring, we don't think of the divine as being like silver or gold or other images like man. The times of ignorance God once overlooked, but no more. He commands all to repent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul, hang on, man. You're going to step too far. All right? You are saying to the professors, uh, to, the, to, to, to the smart people of the day, you're saying that God has overlooked your ignorance? Hang on a second. You're taking a step too far. You're also telling them they need to repent? They need to turn away? I won't read it, but Romans uh, 1, 18 through 25 tells what Paul uh, says whenever he, he says you need to repent from certain things. In Romans 1, 18 through 25, I'll sum it up in a phrase. The knowledge of God is known to all people. Therefore, all of us are held accountable to God's standard. All of us are held accountable to God's standard. He's already made a clear connection to what they're searching for. But then he says, look, you're held accountable to God and you need to repent, which means turn away. What would have been their question they would have asked? Repent from what? The same question, 2016, to our postmodern world. What do we repent from? What I do is, is good for me. What you do is good for you. I don't have any reason to turn away from anything else. But Paul says, actually... You, you, you need to, to repent because there'll be a day when you're held accountable to God. You see, oftentimes I think when we share, we want to share the gospel. We, we do uh, one thing, we, we jump ahead. It's easy to go into sharing the gospel with someone and want to share about the good news. The word gospel means good news, about the good news of the gospel. God loves you. But sometimes we got to back up and start. Why, why would, if we ever get to the cross... Why would it even take Jesus going to a cross? Because we have fallen short, as Romans 3.23 says, from the glory of God. You see, if we, you and I, if we um, were to try to match God's standards and gain God's acceptance by our good deeds and everything we could do, what would happen? We would fail. Every one of us. Everyone is, we are, we, we have done something or done a lot of things, but even the one the wrong thing that we did against God has separated us from God. 
And Paul says that God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and given the assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What's, what's he saying? He's saying that because we all have, have fallen, because we all have, have not met God's standard, which is perfection, God's going to hold us accountable for our actions. He's going to hold you and I accountable for our actions. Parents, you do this all the time. You hold your kids accountable by their actions, right? They, they do what's right. You're pleased with them sometimes. They do what's wrong. You're kind of like, look, I'm, I'm through with you for a minute. Okay, I'll come back to you in a little while. But I'm a little upset right now. Well, see, if we are going to be held accountable to God by our actions, what happens? The Bible is replete with verses that tell us that we have fallen short from God's glory. But what happens? God, in his love for us, gave Jesus to die for us in our place so that we wouldn't have to receive God's wrath, so that we wouldn't have to receive God's punishment. And those of us who will believe in Jesus and surrender our lives to him and accept the fact that he died on the cross for us, for our sin, to pay the penalty of our sin, to accept God's wrath for us, and we believe that, what happens? We then... At that point, don't, God doesn't look at us and say, hey, your actions have separated me from you. He looks and says, hey, your actions once separated you and I, but now, because you have received my son and received his payment for your sin, you are my son, you are my daughter. That same message that Paul preached then is the same message that we must, must share now. The Athenians were looking, they were, they were searching and Paul said, there's going to be a day of judgment. Something else that wouldn't have been received well then, and sometimes it's not received well now. But once you've established a good uh, connection with somebody, you've established some common ground, you begin to move toward the gospel, Paul says, there'll be a day of judgment. Whenever God will judge the world, and either he will judge you based on your actions or judge you based on whether or not you received his son. And I'll ask you this morning, some of you have, have walked in here and you do not fear that day of judgment because you've received Christ. And you know that if you were to go face to face with God right now, you would have no fear because Jesus has washed you clean and because you are a servant of God. But some of you sitting here this morning and you hope that day of judgment never happens. You would hate for it to happen right now. Because you don't know where you would stand before God, or maybe you do. You say, yeah, if I, if I was judged based on my actions, I am not going to be good standing before God. Paul makes it clear to point this out. And I want to let you know this morning, if, if you sit in here and that's you, today... There's no point in waiting. Today could be the day that you come in right standing before God where you no longer are separated, looking for purpose, separated, looking for uh, unconditional love. You can receive that today. Young man, this past week at the baccalaureate service that we had last Sunday night, he, um, we, were, we, we were walking out and it was about 10 minutes after the service and he kind of came up to me. I've known him for about... Uh, five or six years and, and he came up to me right outside the doors out there and he put his arm around me and he just began to weep and like I, I asked the one question that you never ask is, is everything alright of course not why is, he, why is he crying right but he comes up to me and he says um, and he just begins to weep and I, he looks like he's about to talk and then he doesn't and then I, said, I just kind of said are you going to miss all your, all your boys behind you because his friends were standing behind him he kind of nodded his head 
And he just begins to weep more and more and more. And finally, I said, man, what's up? And uh, he said, looked at me as he, his arms around me, trying to talk through his weeping. And he says, I'm going to hell if I don't change. If my life doesn't change right now, I know that I'm never going to see God. And, 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 and we begin to, to talk. And we kind of move over to the, to the vans and, and, and we just begin to talk for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And he just begins to share with me about, man, I don't know what's wrong. I, I, like something's wrong in my life. And this is in, in, in intermittent between just weeping and weeping. And he says, something's got to be fixed. And I, I asked him, I, says, I, I, I said, you've been, this has been going on for a little bit of time now because I know him well. And he said, yeah, I said, and you, you've been trying to find it in in, 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 in uh, a relationship and it kind of pointed some things out about that. And he said, yeah. And, and out there he, um, God was working on him and I believe it probably happened there, but he went to, he, he left, he just left. He told his parents, he said, I can't stay. And he went down to Liberty church right down the road. He had been kind of going there and, uh, Harold Webb, the pastor at Liberty had the privilege of, I, I think, of leading him to the Lord there that night. Though I think it had happened maybe here, it didn't matter where it happened. He knew when he walked out of this room that something wasn't right between him and God. And he knew that if he faced that day of judgment, he looked at me in the eye and said, I'm going to hell. I will not know God for eternity. And we praise God that a service that is to celebrate our graduates, a service to, to, to honor them also turned into a night where God looked down and saved this young man. We're glad for that. Paul preaches, makes a connection, points out the day of judgment, and then he comes to one final thought. And this is the most defining mark of Christianity, the most defining mark of the gospel message. And he talks about the resurrection. He talks about the resurrection of Christ because it matters. I say that if Jesus just died then we're still kind of left in limbo, but the resurrection matters. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The prevailing thought of the day was there was no resurrected body. You just had an immortal soul. And Paul says, no. There'll be a day when, when, when either uh, you are resurrected with Christ or you are not. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, makes this statement. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You see, if Jesus just died, he just died and nothing happened after that. He was just a good man setting a good example. But if Jesus did come back from the dead, if he did rise from the dead, defeating the one thing that we will never be able to defeat, which is death. If he did that, then we have to believe without a shadow of a doubt that he took sin upon himself and that those who believe in him and surrender their lives to him are in right standing before God. Because Jesus did rise from the dead. So the question I'll ask you this morning is this. Same question Jesus asked his disciples. He said, who do you say that I am? I'll look at you and say, who is Jesus? 
Who's Jesus? Paul uh, gets the, the men of the Areopagus to a, to a certain point. And in our uh, gospel presentations, Paul does this all throughout Scripture. And I believe sometimes I, I, I've been afraid in my life to call for a response till I get to the point where I say, are right, you going to believe it or not? But Paul's very clear. He didn't hold anything back. He gets to a point where either they have to say, yeah, I will follow Jesus or no, I will not. Or as we see here, there's a third response that they have. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. See, three responses. Some mocked. If you share your faith, that may happen. Some wanted to hear more. I believe as Christians, we need to identify those people in our lives. Who are those people that want to hear more about Christ? And then some were ready to join. Jesus himself said that the harvest is plentiful. We don't harvest things that aren't ready to be picked in agriculture. Jesus said there are people out there ready to receive Christ. Will we tell them? So this morning, to the person in this room who is a follower of Christ, I'll ask, who is that person? Those people maybe, but who is that person that you know right now I've got to share life's greatest news with them? I've got to share it. Because if you love someone and you love them deeply, will you be willing to share news that could change their forever? That could change their eternity? Who is that person this morning? It's coming to your mind. Who, who to the unbeliever, do you, do you know this morning that Jesus loves you so much that he would be willing to accept your judgment, to take your punishment for all the wrong things that you've ever said, done, thought? Because he doesn't want you to face that day of judgment in the wrong place. He wants you. He wants you to know him and to live with him forever in eternity. Josh mentioned, Joshua mentioned at the start about your connection card. If you still have that, I'll, I'll say there are three ways you can respond. There's a place on your connection card where you can put down you're ready to receive Christ. Maybe you're like, I, I, I feel like this is something I got to do. Then check mark that and we will get in touch with you immediately. There's another place on your connection card that says, uh, you want to hear more about Jesus. Maybe you're like, look, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not ready there to give my life to Christ. Or I want to hear more about what that actually means, what it, what it looks like. Then mark that on there as well. We will get in touch with you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're a follower of Christ and there's someone that you want to come to Jesus so bad. You want them to know the Lord Jesus so much. Write their name down. And let us know that so that we can be praying with you for those opportunities. So there's three ways to respond to that. Respond uh, how you see and feel that you need to. And let's remember when we share the gospel, we establish common ground. And secondly, we present a clear and compelling gospel. Let's pray together.